2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke these words to a, uh, a religious guy who had questions about the kingdom, and years later, the Apostle John uh, wrote it down on a manuscript, and through the centuries, men have copied this, these words, and we have them this morning in Charlottesville, Virginia, on July the 1st, 2018. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. May God bless the reading of his word and, and would you guys pray with me and um, I think this is a good morning to pray open palms. Sometimes we do that. And you're not, I'm not forcing you to. But open palm just means that, hey, you know, I'm ready to receive from God. My heart is open. My mind is open. And, and I'm open to whatever God would say to me through his word and through the Holy Spirit. Now, Father God, we are honored to be in your presence. We are, we are so grateful for, the, for your reckless love, God, that you tore down all the lies. You kicked down every wall. You climbed every mountain, Lord. You, you brought light into every shadow so that we could be in your presence, Lord, not just for a moment, but forever. And God, I pray today that we would have open hearts and open minds to your word. God, I pray that you would help me. God, you know, these words that we share were, were spoken by your son, spoken by his apostles. They were copied through the centuries, and, and God, they're so powerful. And, and God, I, I just want to present in a way that brings you honor this morning. And God, if someone needs to respond to you and say yes to you this morning, I pray they do. I pray that they do not put off to tomorrow what you would love for them to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this, church. We are in this series called Understanding the Bible. And it's, it's been a it's been an awesome series so far, if I do say so myself, Amen. and I just did. <laughs> In week one, we, we talked about how the Bible is unique, accurate, supernatural, and transformational. And In week two, we talked about how, how the Bible has one overriding theme, one overriding storyline, which is the coming of Christ. And week three, we talked about the canon of the Bible about why we can be totally confident that our Bibles contain the books that God intended. Why we can be confident that, that every book that God wanted to be in here is in here. And that there's no book that God wants to be in there that is missing. We can be confident. And last week we talked about the transmission of the text. About how we have so many manuscripts. There's like six, nearly 6,000 Greek manuscripts there's about another 20 to 25,000 manuscripts in Latin or other languages in the first, second, and third centuries. And that's a lot. When you compare that to the average classical Greek has not 25,000 copies, but 15, right? There's a, there's a big difference. That's like 1,650 times more. I, I, I say that's more. And we talked about how the time gap between when the original was written and when we have our first copy is so small with the New Testament. Uh, we, have, we have fragments within decades. We have, we have entire books of the New Testament within, within about 100 years. We have the entire New Testament, about 225 years. Compare that to the classical Greek that waits 500 years for just a fragment. And, and, and Homer's Iliad, waits 1,900 years for its very first full copy. We talked about because we have this wealth of manuscripts, it leads to something called variance, which is differences between the text. And we said that 99% of those variants, right, uh, are like spelling errors, right, word order, uh, the movable new, right? We talked about that last week. And, and, and of that less than 1% of variance, not a single one, not a single one contradicts or affects any of our core doctrines. Amen. Understand, brothers and sisters, the Bible has been copied so much and so early 
that we cannot hide the original text. And bottom lines, we've seen in the last two weeks that, that we, can be, we can be confident. We can be confident that this book contains everything that God wants in there, and we can be confident that we actually have what Mark and Luke and Paul and the others have written. And I say that's good news, right? Amen? Amen. 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 <laughs> oh, this is good. I love it. I love it. And, and, and here's the deal. You know, it, it was like a lot of information. Uh, online, we have a podcast, a website. You can listen to it, Facebook Live. I can email you my notes. And, and don't forget this uh, list of resources that, that I have up here that lists some really good books that deal with these topics, that lists some good videos and websites you can go to. And, and each week I give out a book, and this one goes to the center section. Uh, and, and this book here, written by uh, Dr. Jack Cottrell, it's called Solid. It's about the authority of God's Word. Anybody in there want this book? Bob? Man, dude, you're fast. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. And this morning we're going to talk about two things translations, and TYBTS, right? And uh, we'll start with a brief discussion on translations, and then we'll move on to TYBTS. And this week, we'll complete our study on how we got the Bible, you know, which was about accomplishing my first goal of this series, which was, here's our first goal, right? To take a look at the overwhelming evidence that demonstrates contrary to the onslaught of modern culture, that the Bible is not just another book or mere ink on paper, but that it really is from God, the maker of heaven and earth. And we'll begin part two of understanding the Bible, where I'm gonna, we're going to talk about, hey, here's some principles, um, hermeneutics. You know, that I can say that, so I, I went to college and paid so I could say words like hermeneutics, right? <laughs> you know, uh, the Greek God, messenger God, Hermes. It's really, it's just uh, principles for understanding the Bible. So we're, gonna, we're talking about, hey, here's some things, principles that will help you understand the Bible better. And we're going to begin that in a few weeks. When I get back from a mission trip that I'm leading with my wife, Laurie, to, um, for CIY Engage to Northern Ireland. I mean, someone's got to go to Northern Ireland. It must, it must well be us, right? And uh, 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 Jenny Sagalis, Alexis Richmond, and um, Maitland Garrison are going and we're going to huddle up after service if you guys would like to pray with us. Uh, but again, so that'll kick off in a couple weeks um, and encourage you to be there for that. And as always, I have great speakers lined up where you wish I'll stay away for a few more weeks. Uh, um, not one of them is Justin. He's here, but he's busy or else he'd be on the ticket. Okay, here's the deal. Uh, translation. So, so I'm pretty sure that none of us here are fluent in Greek and Hebrew. Uh, I, I, I certainly... I'm not. We read from English translations. Here's a quick side note. It, it was not until the 13th century uh, that we had chapter divisions in the Bible. Okay? Um, Stephen Langdon did that. Stephen's are awesome people. Uh, it wasn't until the late 14th century that we had our first English Bible. Uh, John Wycliffe translated the Bible from Latin into the Greek, the common language of the day. He wanted to, excuse me, from Latin into English, the common language of the day. Church wasn't really happy about it. Years after his death, they declared him a heretic. They dug up his body and they, they burned it. Um, now, it wasn't until early in the 16th century that we had the very first English Bible that was translated from the original Greek and Hebrew by a guy named William Tyndall. Um, he was arrested for having unauthorized scripture, having a Bible that everyday man could read. He was arrested. He was tied to a stake, strangled to death, and then burned. And it wasn't until the mid-16th century that we had, we had verse numbers added to the text. Crazy. For 1,600 years, not at one NFL football game was there a John 3.16 sign anywhere. <laughs> Thank you for the laughter. Again, they were the first English translations. Now we have hundreds of them. It's not a crime to carry them. Now, why are there so many translations? Several reasons. Here's one of them. Uh, money, right? You know, money. Bible's a bestseller. 
You know, and if I have my own translation, you know, I'm not copyrighted with anybody else, then it, I get to make money. Here's another uh, reason. English changes over time, right? Uh, words mean different things. Some of us have seen that in our own lifetime. Like, uh, here's a few words that have kind of changed. Like the word tool, right? It, it, it used to mean like, like you, a hammer or like a screwdriver, right? I, I didn't know the meaning changed. Then I thought it could mean, hey, I'm somebody you can use to help you. And I was preaching, I was sitting right here, and I said, you know what, I want to be a tool for you guys. And all the students <laughs> cracked up laughing. I go like, I don't get what's so funny, okay? Uh, bad used to mean bad. <laughs> you know, dope, right? It used to mean, like, hey, someone maybe was a dope or dumb, or maybe it meant dope, like I grew up in the 70s, right? I didn't know that changed, so I saw an interview and a lady had a hat that said dope on it. I, I go to Laurie, seriously? She's on an interview wearing a hat advertising drugs. She goes, babe, it's changed. Catfish used to be something that swam in the water. You call it the hook, right? It means something different. Now, you got catfish. If you don't know what it means, you can ask somebody um, young. Um, cloud, right? Used to be like these things in the sky, right, that rain would come from. It's something different. You know, text would be, you know, something that was, like, written. Now text is, hey, did you get my text? I didn't see any document that you sent me, right? Tag was something I played as a kid, right? You know? And, and now it means some tablet, right, was, was like a, a flat stone with things written on it. it and, and then it became like a pill, right? You got tablets of Tylenol. Now a tablet, if you look it up, it's like uh, something totally different. So English changes. So, you know, if we're going to get it in the common language, uh, like the King James Version, there's some words that mean different things today. Like closet, you know, I meant inner room. You know, it wasn't, people say I had that prayer closet. Well, no, it just meant an inner room in the house. Conversation meant way of life. We th- to us, it's talking with people. Um, carriages meant luggage. Leasing meant lying. Divers meant various, you know. I remember sitting in church in Newport News, actually uh, Yorktown, Virginia, at church, um, I was at the shipyard in the Navy, sitting next to a guy named Dave who was a, a, a diver in the Army. And, 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 uh, and, and uh, when he used King James there, and they're reading from uh, uh, James chapter where it says, you know, as you encounter um, divers' trials. And I go, Dave, you're a diver, right? Like, what is a diver's trial? You know, I was just, I said, it's like when you see a mermaid and get tempted or something. You know, it, it just... You know, uh, uh, mean um, used to mean obscure, right, back then. Bowels, right? I mean, bowels means something totally different today, right? You know, if I said back then, you say, hey, you really stirred my bowels today. You're like, wow. You know, yeah, that would be nice then. Today it's like, really? <laughs> okay. Words change, right? And, and then there are just some words that we just don't use anymore. I won't even tempt to. These are some words from the King James, uh, original King James, that I have no idea what they mean. Uh, I definitely can't pronounce them. And, and, and what I'm trying to say is one of the reasons there's so many translations is because when the New Testament was written, it was written in the common language, and translators wanted to get it into our common language. Uh, a third reason is new manuscripts, right? You find newer manuscripts, hey, we probably should maybe uh, update them a little bit. Okay, next question. You know, uh, if there's so many different ones, what one is the best? Well, there really is no best. Most are good. Some are not so good. And some are maybe kind of bad. Um, and each translation, you know, you can go out and impress your friends this week with these words, right? You know, it, it falls somewhere on the scale between two translating philosophies. One is the formal equivalent, right? I mean, you're at Starbucks this week and say, hey, you know, what do you think about the formula, formal Formal equivalent. You're visiting. I apologize. No. Um, and this is more word for word. It aims to be a literal translation, though no such thing is possible. The prose of the formal equivalent is it attempts to stay close to what the original Hebrew or Greek said. Um, they try to avoid interpreting what the original writer means. Uh, they leave that to the reader, right? That's the prose. On the con, sometimes it's hard to understand. Uh, sometimes the sentence structure seems really awkward. Um, it, it assumes that the reader is going to understand technical language or, or uh, figures of speech, um, idioms of the day, 
Um, then you have the dynamic equivalent, and that's more thought for thought. It aims to make the text as readable as possible, right? Prose, it's easy to read. It, it communicates the passage in a readable style. I mean, you read it, okay, this makes sense to me. It avoids technical language. The cons are, are that uh, sometimes the translator is deciding what a passage means. And the sentences are very different from what you might find in the original or other translations. And, and the truth is, nothing is 100% word for word, and, and nothing is 100% thought for thought. They all fall in the middle, and they, they all lean somewhere, right? Some say, hey, I, I want to lean more thought for thought. These guys say, yeah, well, we're going to lean more towards going for word for word, okay? And, and, and let me tell you how this has played out. Uh, imagine you're trying to translate the following sentence into a different language. Bob and Jane went into the house and began to argue. You're driving me crazy, Jane said. Stop beating a dead horse. Okay? Now, the first sentence is pretty straightforward. Bob and Jane went into the house and began to argue, right? But that'd be very easy to translate, you know, word for word. I mean, most translators, whether they were going word for word or thought for thought, would go that same way. The second gets a little trickier, right? You know, uh, you're driving me crazy, Jane said. Stop beating a dead horse. Because if you go word for word, I mean, are you talking like mental illness here, right? And like, where did the horse come from? And why is someone beating the horse, right? You, you know, and, and so uh, this is what they have to do, figure out. Hey, and sometimes it doesn't work. I know a missionary went somewhere, you know, where, you know that verse says, you know, what, what, what father of a son asked for bread would give him a scorpion? Well, in that culture, scorpions were like, like, like lobster and prime rib. It, you, if you went word for word, guess what you lost? You lost the meaning. In that culture, they didn't like chicken, believe it or not. <laughs> you know, what father, if their son asked for bread, would give him chicken, right? And so, and, and, and again, that's what they battle with. And, 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 and most translations fall somewhere in the middle. And, and I've, I put a little chart in your, in your, uh, in your bulletin where you can see, you know, what what versions of the Bible are more word for word, okay? Uh, which ones are more thought for thought? Um, you can see at the very far end is what's called an interlinear. You know, I have one of these from the olden days. I still use it. It, it has the NIV on one side, New American Standard on the other side, and in the middle, you know, it, it, has, it has the Greek, right? Um, and and uh, you can see where, you know, like the message and living, they're, they're not... They're not Bibles, they're paraphrases, right? They're good for reading. And so like if you're new to the Bible, sometimes it's really good to start, I think, more for the thought for thought. You grab you an NLT, right? But then maybe later on you're like, hey, I, I, I want to go more in depth and see what original words were used. You know, I, I would recommend the New American Standard. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to kind of uh, like, uh, since the study, the, the Holman Christian Study Bible is really good. The English Standard Version is really good. You know, and in the front, they'll tell you, you know, they usually tell you, hey, here's what we're going for, you know, the dynamic equivalent. We're going for the formal equivalent, you know, and, and they'll kind of tell you those things. They'll let you know that, hey, we were made up of uh, 50 translators from 20 different denominations, which I like, right? Because if I'm trying to sneak something in that supports maybe my doctrine you don't agree with, you're like, yo, dude, you can't do that. And, and, it, and it goes vice versa. All right. So uh, none are the best. Right? You find one that works for you, right? And say, hey, I, I kind of like this one. And, and you kind of run with that. And, and uh, there, there's, there's a website that I find very helpful. Um, it's called, called blueletterbible.com. Um, I, I go to that all the time. And it, it, it's, it's sweet. Because you look up a verse, and you can look at it anywhere you, you know, NIV, it doesn't matter. And, and then it has the, the interlinear. You can just click on it. And you can go like, oh, Wow. Here's what the actual word was. You know, here's what really was happening. You, you don't necessarily need to know Greek to use that. I find that really helpful. Uh, uh, blueletterbible.com. And, and so that's pretty much the deal with translations, right? You, you know, pick one that works for you. Understand, you know, whether they're leaning more word for word or thought for thought. And depending on where you are in your journey, right? You may say, hey, you know, I'm ready to, you know, want something that's more word for word. And, and, uh, and know that, man... Today's technology, you know, bluebible.com, boom, it's right there. And now I want to talk about uh, uh, TWBTS, um, which stands for the why behind the story. Um, what is the main storyline of the Bible? Uh, the coming of Jesus. And, and what, 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 is the, what is the why 
behind the story. Like, why did Jesus come? I understand Jesus came to, to set us free, to, to shed his blood, to forgive our sins, to remove the barrier that had separated us from God. He came to unleash the gospel of God's unfailing love, unbounded mercy, and amazing grace. Now understand, it's the why behind the story that motivated men <laughs> to copy thousands of manuscripts through the years, right? It's the why behind the story that motivated people like William Tyndale, right? To say, I'm, I'm going to get this in the common language because I, I want people to know the why behind the story, even if I die in order for them to have the why behind the story, because the why behind the story is, is so worth it. And this morning, I just want to talk about the why behind the story. Uh, the story of forgiveness, the story of freedom, salvation, and mercy, and grace that's found only in Jesus Christ. And that's for everybody just to be open hearts, open minds. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul does a good job of, of describing the why behind the story. And he starts off with a pretty rough and disturbing picture uh, before Jesus' picture. Here, here's what he says. And we know this is true, right? It, it's that book, Ephesians, it's supposed to be there, and we have what Paul wrote. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, and we were, by nature, children under God's wrath like the rest of mankind. Before Christ, we were, we were dead. We're not sick, not having a bad day. We were dead. And according to Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is what? It's death. Not only that, before Jesus, we were children under God's wrath. Interestingly, I, I've always read object. We were object of God's wrath. It wasn't until I did my study and I looked on the uh, blue Bible, uh, blueletterbible.com that I said, wait a second, the word children is actually in there. We're not, we're not objects. I mean, it, it used the word children in the original. I mean, God had people, we were, and, and, I, and I thought, this, how hard that had to be for God? I have children. You know, they're not objects. And children that God created in his image, because of their own sin, were under his wrath. That, that, that's hard. And that had to hurt God. And listen, as children under God's wrath, we were facing, because of our sins, a crisis eternity in a place we want to like to talk about, we like to think about. But, it, but, it's more, but that is more real and more lasting than the room we're in. A place that Scripture describes and not very pleasant pictures of torment and outer darkness and gnashing of teeth and unending pain. You see, the biblical doctrine of lostness is not that God simply abandons us, but that God pursues us. This righteous, holy God pursues us. Listen, he will catch up to us either at Mount Calvary or at Judgment. But he will catch up to us. And when he does, it's a good idea to have Jesus. Amen? So the before, it's not very pretty. pretty. And it probably wasn't very pleasant to write. <laughs> you know, for Paul, prescribes the copy for people to translate. But thankfully for me, you, and everyone in the world, that's not the end of the story. The very next verse. But, because of his great... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, even though we're messed up, doing wrong. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, and, and this is crazy, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Are you kidding me? In Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So God could say, hey, look, look who's sitting there. Steve Malone is sitting with Christ. 
my goodness, you know it was grace that got him here, right? He didn't deserve to be here. He didn't earn to be here, but he seed it with Christ. I mean, God gets to brag on me about that and you as well. You don't think I got grace? Look, you seed it with Jesus. For us in grace, you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's masterpiece, creating Christ Jesus through good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of like that. Move that bus! <laughs> uh, after a picture of Paul paints there, alive with Christ, covered by his incomparable grace, no longer an object of God's wrath, but his masterpiece. You see, in Christ changes who we are. In Christ, I am alive, I am free, I am forgiven. I am covered by grace, I am seated with Christ, and I am God's masterpiece. Repeat after me. I am alive. alive. Okay, we'll start over. I am alive. I am free. I am am forgiven. I am am covered by grace. I am am seated with Christ. I am God's masterpiece. And listen, it's all because of Jesus. Understand, this is the why behind the story. It's why Jesus came. And listen, the bottom line, for those who receive Christ, it only gets better from here, all right? But for those who don't, this world, this life, is as good as it will ever get. That's not too pleasant. Which brings us to the question of the ages. How do we get in on the why behind the story? How do we get in on this forgiveness and grace and mercy and salvation from God? How do we get in on the deal that God made with himself on the cross 2,000 years ago? How do we make sure that, that, that our life is that after Jesus picture and not the before Jesus picture? And where do we go to find the answers? Well, there's only one place we go to find the answer. It's not from a person. It's not from a pastor. It's not from a denomination. It's not from a family member. It's not from a friend. It's not from me, but it's from, it's from the word of God. It's from this book that, that God has preserved and protected for thousands of years. It's from this book that, that scribes have copied for centuries. It's, it's from this book that is the authority for all things, including how you and I Get in on the why behind the story. It's from this book that we have seen through the last few weeks that we can be confident that it really is the Word of God. Therefore, it's true. So what does this book say about getting in on the why behind the story, about getting in on this freedom? We're celebrating that in three days, a kind of good freedom. This is even better. This is a gooder freedom that we have in Christ. First, it says that we are saved by grace. Can't earn it. Salvation is a, is a what? It's a gift, right? It's a gift. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't achieve it. You can't strive for it. it, it it's simply God's unmerited, unearned, undeserved, mind-blowing favor. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's a gift from God that no one should boast. Second, the Bible teaches that this gift Grace can only be received through, through faith. We are saved by grace through, through faith. And, and listen, without the pages of Scripture, we, we find the details of the faith that saves. First, saving faith believes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Saving faith believes what God's word says about his love, his plan, his mercy, his grace, his person. Saving faith believes what God's word says about our sin and its consequences that it separates us from God. Saving faith believes what God's word says about Jesus, who he is, the the son of God and, and what he did. He was our substitute. He was a perfect sacrifice that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could never pay. And listen, it's extremely important to believe that stuff. But listen, believing the right stuff in our head, it's only the starting point, right? For even 
James says, God says in James, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God, good for you. (laughs) Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Next in God's word, we see not only does saving faith believe the right stuff, but that saving faith repents. Repent then, turn to God so your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What is repentance? Understand, repentance means much more than simply being sorry for your sins. Repentance is making a U-turn. It's hanging on 180. It's laying down your agenda for life and picking up God's agenda. It's saying to God, God, I've been been wrong about so, so much, and and you've been right about everything. And God, I want to take off my way of living, my thoughts, my desire, my agenda. I want to take them off and lay them down, and I want to pick up your way of living, your better way of living. Because the truth is, being the Lord of my life really hasn't worked out so good for me. You see, repentance is a commitment and desire to no longer live for ourselves and instead live for God. Repentance is not simply shedding tears. Repentance is about change. And next we see in God's word that saving faith confesses. Jesus said, everyone, everyone therefore shall confess me before men. I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. You see, faith, unashamedly at all times and in all places, no matter who we're with, no matter what it costs, says, Jesus is Lord, <laughs> Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. On the count of three, let's just say that. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now that's pretty easy to say in here, right? Are there some places and environments where maybe it's not so easy for you to say? Do you know the context of Matthew chapter 10, verse 32? Jesus is saying to his guys, hey, you know what's going to happen? Love you guys, but in the future, they're going to arrest you. They're going to beat you, all because you follow me. And you're going to be tempted at that time to say that you don't follow me, that you don't know me, that you don't love me, that I'm not the way, the truth, and the life. Don't do that. Don't do that. You continue to confess me even in those difficult situations, and I'll confess you before my Father. He does go on to add that if you don't confess me, then then I I won't confess you. See, confession is going and staying public with our faith at all times, in all places, with all people. And that can be hard, right? Some work environments can be hard, right, to to show your faith. You know, sometimes I, I didn't do so well underway on a submarine, you know. Uh, I, I, I didn't live out my faith as, as best I could and lost some maybe opportunities because of it, right? You know, but I, I, I should have done better, right? They sh- people kind of knew, but maybe my life didn't always back it up. Um, next, God's word teaches that saving faith is, is baptized. And, and, and I'll be straight with you, baptism is where things get sticky and messy. <laughs> and I wish they didn't. Man, I so wish they did it. The word baptism or baptize occurs over 80 times in the New Testament. And every one of those times, it's a translation or a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip, to plunge, or to immerse. And that's why at Maple Grove, we practice baptism by immersion because that's what the word means. And, you know, uh, every, every time you see the word baptized in the Bible, it is that word, baptizo. And, and for some reason, and, and again, I wish it didn't happen, when they translated, or when they were translating the New Testament into English, rather than translate the word baptizo, they did what's called transliteration. They basically take the Greek letters and they make up a new English word, right? So, so baptizo becomes baptism. Interestingly, there's a word rantizo for sprinkle. You never find the word rantizo in the Bible, right? Because they actually, with that word, they actually translated it rather than uh, make up a a new word. And and baptism is a huge deal, even though, pardon the pun, it's gotten watered down (laughs) over the years. (laughs) Forgive me, Lord, for the pun. Uh, A few things to keep in mind. Baptism is not a tradition of the church. It's a command and promise of God. Baptism is not about joining a church. It's about being united with Christ. You don't have to 
be worthy, worthy to be baptized just as much as you don't need to get cleaned up to take a bath, right? You don't, hey, you know, I, I think I'm going to go get cleaned up so I can go ahead and take a shower. It just doesn't work that way. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that no verse can mean less than what it says, but it can mean more in light of other scriptures. John 3.16 says, whoever believes, right, you know, um, will have eternal life. Um, it mentions nothing about repentance and confession and baptism, but we know from other scriptures, yeah, John 3.16 can't mean less than that. But when from all the scriptures, yeah, well, you got to repent. you got to believe. Um, baptism is not a parental decision. It's a personal decision. Everybody in the New Testament was baptized believed. Now, maybe some of you were like me and, and your mom and dad when you were still baby because they loved you because it was what they were taught, took you to church, and you were sprinkled. This happened to me back in, I hate to say this, 1960. It... it, it but it was not my decision. I don't even remember it, to be honest with you. Uh, years later, when I was 19, studying the Bible with a bunch of guys, I made a personal decision to follow Christ, and I was immersed into his name on December 30th, 1979. I said, I want to follow Christ. I said, be baptized. I just, I'll go ahead and do it. You know, I eventually convinced my mom and dad after much frustration and driving them crazy, you know, um, and, and they, they were baptized as well. My mom struggled with it because her dad um, was no longer with us. And, and her accepting the truth, she began to wonder, what does that, if I accept this as true, what does that mean for my dad? And I said, Mom, it's, you know, this is between you and God. You know, our God is just and fair. And if that's what granddad knew, then I, I, we'll, we'll leave that to God that's, that's above our pay grade. But we know we serve a loving God. And, you know, I gave her this illustration of, like, if, you know, if, if granddad had owned a deli and, and he died, and we took over that deli, and as we remodeled the place, because it got kind of old and messed up, you know, we began to calibrate the, the, the thing that weighed the meat. And when I calibrated it, you know, I find that it actually was two ounces off. So when I sold that 24-ounce T-bone, <laughs> it, it wasn't 24 ounces, right? You know, it was only 22 ounces, you know. Was, was granddad being dishonest when he did that? No, because he didn't know it was out of calibration, but if I leave it that way, am I being dishonest? Absolutely, because now I know. You know, and, 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 and that's what happened to me. Hey, now I, I didn't know. When I was 19, I found out that, you know what, my deadly meat scale wasn't proper, and I need to align it with God's, God's truth. And, and the point is, don't make your baptism about anybody except you, God, and his word. Right? That's it. Don't make it about your mom, your dad, the church you used to go to. It's all about you and God and his word. Now, now let's walk through. We're just going to hit these scriptures um, that talk about um, baptism and what it's about. And I believe the baptism is what the Bible says baptism is. Um, Matthew 28, 18, uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So that's a great commission, right? We make disciples, how? By baptizing them and teaching them. We baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That phrase in the name of was used in the Greek marketplace as a transfer of ownership. You know, guess who owns you when you're baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Now, you don't own your own life. God owns it. And then you scroll through your, your, your Bible, you see in Acts 2, very important, first time the gospel's ever preached, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we read these words. Peter preaches a pretty powerful message. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, other brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Peter bought a lot of shorts, apparently, uh, and, and shirts and towels. 
Did, did you notice that Peter didn't tell them they needed to believe? How come? They already did. And if I had some friends from Orlando come to visit us, I would give them these directions. I-4 East, I-95 North, 64 West, get off at Highway 250, welcome to Charlottesville, right? Uh, that's what I would tell them. Now, if they lost their directions and there was no GPS and they're on 64 West and they, they asked for directions, like, hey, I'm visiting my friend in Charlottesville. How do I get there? Will they mention I-4 East? No. Will they mention I-95 North? No. Why? Because they already did those things. So in the Bible, you'll see, not, they're not getting different answers. People are different places. Um, Acts chapter 8, verse 12, we read these words. Philip's preaching in Samaria. When they believe Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles. You scroll down a little further in Acts, there's this um, guy who just got back from worshiping in Jerusalem, and he's in a chariot, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he's very confused. He doesn't know what it's about, and, and God supernaturally sends Philip to him, and the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, uh, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, we don't have the sermon, but one thing we do know is that in that discussion about Jesus, he talked about the need to be baptized because of the next verse. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Then in Acts chapter 9, you know, Paul has met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's hanging out at some dude's house. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that, they may, that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Uh, down in uh, Acts chapter 16, there's some people gathered by the river uh, talking about God, godly people, and, and, and Paul shows up there and, one of those, and begins to preach. And one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Peter's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. And then Acts 16, a little bit further, Paul's in jail with Silas. An earthquake opens the prison doors. It loosens their chains. The jailer is freaking out. I'm going to die. My prisoners are going to be set free. I'm going to kill myself. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe. Get on I-4 East and the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him because he, he knew nothing. He, 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 he was a, a Gentile. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his household. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were, were baptized. Acts 18, 7 and 8. Uh, then Paul left the synagogue. There's a pattern developing here. Um, and then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus, Justice, a worshiper of God, Crispus, a synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were, were baptized. In Acts 19, we find this very interesting thing of what is going on. When Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Do you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is the Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a, a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were what? They were baptized into the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 22, Paul's recounting his conversion before a Roman ruler. And he says this, what Ananias had said to him, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Didn't tell Paul to believe, repent, or confess because he obviously already did. See, when we look at the book of Acts, 
Uh, we see lost people coming to Christ. It's the only book in the Bible we actually see lost people coming to Christ, and they all come the same way. Through belief, repentance, confession, baptism, okay? That's the way we see them come. That, that's what we see in, in, in Scripture, okay? Um, I'll say this, and I'm not trying to be offensive. What you do not see is people praying to receive Christ. I mean, if that's in the Bible, show me, please. I would like to see it, but you don't see that. What you see in the Bible is people believing, repenting, confessing, and coming to Christ. Years ago, I remember my, my son, Gentile, were in the car. He had gone somewhere at a VBS, and you know, they did a prayer. And, and he asked me, we're at the, the old Rio Road. <laughs> before the, making the left. I remember distinctly. And he, he said, Baba, uh, I don't understand. Why would people do something that's not in the Bible? He, he, he was like maybe eight and ignore something that's in the Bible. I said, I don't really know. I, I don't have an answer. I just wish they didn't. I, I wish it wasn't such a contentious issue. I wish we just said, hey, God said it. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it. I remember being in Orlando, Florida, Kissimmee, at Point Seattle County Christian Church. I was in Bible college working with students as a volunteer. And then this one Sunday, two couples, both in their, they probably look a lot, a lot younger to me now <laughs> than they did then. Uh, they were all in their, you know, they retired snowbirds, and now they're permanent snowbirds. They got their wings clipped, couldn't fly back north. And, and uh, they, both in their mid-80s, two couples, been elders in churches where they had been sprinkled as babies, never been immersed, and they came there. And, and, and you know, they, on this Sunday, they just said, hey, we didn't know. And they said, we're not going to argue. We're not going to say our faith didn't matter. We're not going to say, we're not going to be proud. And I, 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 I cried as I watched this husband and wife, two couples, and said, hey, I, I didn't know. And Jesus said, do it. I'm just going to do it because I, like, I love Jesus. And Jesus said, if you love me, you obey me. I'm not going to debate it. I'm just going to kind of do what he says. And we find in Scripture, right, in the rest of the New Testament, it doesn't go away. In Romans 6, it says, all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We're therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Galatians 6, I mean 3.27, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have what? Have clothed yourself with Christ. We're baptized into Christ. It's how we move into Christ according to Scripture. First Peter 321, and this water, waters of the flood, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. It can't mean less than that. But we, but we know that, hey, if you don't believe, and you don't repent, you don't confess, all you did was take a bath, right? And not a very good one because you just went in and got out real quick, right? You know, it, it meant nothing, right? You just got wet. You know, baptism is about a repentant believer surrendering to Christ, being buried with him. And rising to live a new life. I love TYBTS. I love the why behind the story. I love that, that Jesus came to set me free. I love that Jesus came to forgive my sins. I love that Jesus came to, to cover me with his grace, to fill me with this Holy Spirit so I can live the life I couldn't, I couldn't live my own. And I love the truth that I'm saved by grace through faith. I don't have to earn it. I just repent and say, I want to live for you, God, and I'll confess you as my Lord, and I'll be buried with you. A few weeks back, I decided, hey, we need to do a baptism Sunday. So here we are. You know, and someone asked me this week, hey, who signed up? I said, nobody. No one signed up yet. You know, and the enemy will want me to feel awkward, a little bit embarrassed. I don't know. Can't put that on Facebook. Awesome baptism Sunday at the Grove. Zero baptized. <laughs> you know, I don't feel awkward. And I'm embarrassed. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God, it's salvation, everyone who believes, right? I'm not ashamed of it. You know, and, 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 and I did prepare for it. I, I got a bunch of shorts back there. I got a bunch of dark t-shirts. And if you don't want to change in that, you want to be baptized, I'll go, my, I'll go in the clothes with you. I'll leave your wet and dripping with you, right, if that's how you want to do it. But, but, but here, here's what I, I just want to say. And, and, you know, 
Because we know even studying, this, isn't, this is really is God's word. Ephesians is supposed to be in there, and we have what Paul wrote, and we had what Luke wrote, and, and we see how Christians responded. And so if you're here today, and you do not, have not yet been baptized, but you love Jesus, and you want to follow him. I just asked what Paul asked in Acts 22, 16. Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, you know? Or actually, the first question, what are you waiting for? Like, like he, if you're in this room today, and, and I tell you, it, it terrifies me to think that someone could be in this room every Sunday and, and is not yet believed, repented, and surrendered to Christ in baptism. It terrifies me, you know, because I, I, that would just, that, that's just, that would just, it scares me. Because I love you, you know. And if you're here today and you have not been baptized, but you love Jesus and you want to follow Jesus, what are you waiting for? Well, what reason would you get? And and would Jesus be okay with that reason? Well, here's why, Jesus, because I just got my hair done. (laughs) Here's why, Jesus, because what would people think? I've been coming to church for years. Does it think somehow, like, I didn't love Jesus all this time? You know? You know, what reason reason did you say? You know, and I just would encourage you. You know, check out this verse here, and I'm going to wrap up. I, I went long, but I may not come back from Ireland. Who knows what can happen over there? Well, St. Patrick got rid of the snake, so I should be good. Okay. Um, Paul writes this as partners. And so I, I guess I'm being biblical here. You know, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you on the day of salvation. I helped you. Indeed, the right time is... It's now. Today is the day of salvation. And, and, and I just plead with you. But I'm not going to make it. It's got to be your decision because it's not a pastor's decision either, right? Not just a, you know, and, and, and I'm available 24-7, you know. Um, Steve at thegroveseville.org, you know. My phone number, you know, you, you, 434-284-1057, 284-1057. Uh, obviously the same, you know, 434. You know, call me anytime. You want to talk about this? If this is different. But maybe it's something you want to do today. You know, I, I wouldn't put it off. You know, I, I would just do it and not debate it. But, hey, you said it. I'll just do it. And, and uh, would you stand? I'm going to pray. And I'll be kind of, I'll be off over here to the side if you want to chat about it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. I pray your word bears fruit today. May we be a people, um, collective individually of the book. Um, God, I pray for anyone here today, Lord, that has not yet surrendered to you in baptism. God, I, I pray that somehow, you know, your truth came out, not my truth. Um, and, and whatever barrier has been holding them back, that they just say, hey, why not? They don't have a good reason. And, and they just do it. In Jesus' name, amen.